0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City.
1: Amen. Good morning, Story City. My name is Stephanie. I'm very happy to be here with this, with you this morning um, as we move into worship through scripture. If you are able, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are only to be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, Story City Church, Good morning. glad to be with you guys today, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Jonathan, um, I'm one of your directors for the collective, I'm the director of engagement, um, I'm also an uh, elder candidate at the Granada Hills location, and so I'm glad I get to be with you guys today, um, normally we, I worship down with my family at Granada Hills, and I, I come here often to our, uh, periodically to check in on things, but they asked me to preach and so I get to be with you guys, I'm super excited about that. Um, So the question today for Minute to Mingle was what sound irritates you the most? And I'm sure there's a lot of different sounds that irritate you, but there's probably that one sound that when you hear it, it just kind of makes your blood pressure grow up a little bit. And um, I have a 2002 Honda Odyssey. And uh, it doesn't have a Bluetooth capability. And in my old car, I could get my phone and just hook it up via Bluetooth, right, and then just listen to all my jams and just, you know, rock out in my car. But for some reason, I don't know, 2002, maybe they didn't have the technology. And so I had to go and on Amazon, and I had to buy, like, this little AM, FM transmitter. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, before Bluetooth, that's what we had to do, right? And so I had to plug it into the little... Uh, uh, thing, the, the, where the, the, what is it called, the cigarette lighter thing, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's all I can think of. Um, plug it in there, and then you have to set it to a certain uh, station, and then you can hook your phone up to that, and then it hooks up to your radio, and then it plays music, and then it's kind of like distorted. But when you're not playing music, that AM, FM transmitter gives off like, gives off, like the worst white noise. Right, you know what I'm talking about? It almost, you almost feel like when you're sitting there, it's like the government is trying to like brainwash you or like take over you. That's the kind of white noise it is. That is my, that is to me, is the most irritating sound ever. Right? It's it's terrible. Um, I always, it's so funny. My wife leaves the radio on. I'm like, how do you do this? Right? She's like, oh, I don't want to change it. I'm like, well, I just, I just turn it off every time. I get in the car, I turn the car, I turn the radio off because I don't, I don't want to hear it. So, here's the point. Certain sounds can drive you to action. For me, it's turning that radio off. I already know before I even get in the van, my mind, the action that I'm going to do is already set. Certain sounds drive you to action. But sometimes, only they, they only can if you know what they mean or why they're there. Uh, In 2018, January 13th, 8.07 a.m., the day that will forever live in infamy, it was the fake missile threat in Hawaii. I grew up there. I was there for the fake missile threat. It was terrible, okay? So me and my wife are sleeping, and all of a sudden you hear that Amber Alert noise on your phone, right? It's like that, 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 that very distinct, like I'm getting a very important message. So that sound wakes me up, I jump out of bed, I grab my phone, and across it there's a notification that says, this is not a drill, incoming missile, Uh, seek shelter immediately. And so I I run outside and I look and people are just going everywhere. Like people are running out of businesses, cars are driving up on the sidewalks, like people are trying to run into like different apartments, and uh, it, it was a crazy time. It was really insane. Before that, the context leading up to that, uh, uh, President Trump was uh, in North Korea, and there were some things going on there, and they were uh, giving us commercials about that, like in Hawaii, like on the news. They're like, hey, if this ever happens, you have like 20 minutes or eight minutes, I don't remember the time, but it was like really quick, right, to make a decision. And later you looked on uh, Instagram and Facebook, people were sticking their children into manholes, right? Like, like. Hugging their kids and kissing them and like sticking them in manholes, hiding them in closets. The, uh, the, the, the hurricane sirens were going off, right? Uh, military people were running into action, all kinds of crazy things. Uh, it was a really scary day. But all that led to was that, that sound, right? That, 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 that uh, warning system threw everything into disarray. 30 minutes later, which is actually a very long time. 30 minutes later, the uh, governor of Hawaii gets on Twitter and says, sorry, it was, a, it was an accident. Um, yeah, it's terrible. But certain sounds can drive you to action, but only if you know what they mean. Today, we're going to look at a passage where we learn that God gives words, specifically in the form of these two sign gifts, where they are to be used to build others up. But only those words can build up if the listener understands what it means. Now, I know that sounds a bit cryptic, but it will make sense, I promise. So let's pray. And we'll jump into it. Father, we we thank you for this time where we can open your word and we can learn uh, your heart for this subject. God, we ask that you would just teach us through your spirit and that you would reveal all truth to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the last several months we've been walking uh, together as a church through the book of Corinthians. And uh, you to remember that this church, it's a mess. Right? Uh, And we all know church is messy, but this church is messy. Like baby eating spaghetti in the mud for the first time, messy, okay? So the one reason that it's such a mess is because uh, these people are all concerned about their status, right? Who is the best speaker? Uh, Who is friends with who? Who is the richest? Who's the most influential? And as our, pa- our passage last week mentioned, these people started to treat the spiritual gifts that God gave them in this way also, right? I'm the best because I speak in tongues. I'm the best because I can heal people. I'm the best because I'm a, I'm a prophet or I have the prophetic gift. No, no, right? And he's like, uh, Paul rebukes them. You speak in tongues? Cool. Do you love well? right? Healing? Oh, nice. Do you love well? Oh, you're a prophet. Sweet. How's the love thing going? Oh, you like to give? Oh, man, that's great. Are you loving? So Paul has to step in, right, and teach these people what these gifts are all about. He has to tell them, seek them desire them, pursue them, and Paul's words apply to us today. But he also has to correct some stuff, right? Because they haven't forgotten the, they've not forgotten the heart of these gifts. I was driving yesterday to pick up fish with my kids and I have a poke business, which is like a Hawaiian raw fish business. Uh, we sell at pop-ups and caterings and stuff like that. And so I had to go early in the morning and pick up fish. And I had my two kids in the car. And I was dri- As I was driving, I was looking at my kids and they were laughing and they were playing with each other. They were eating their um, sausage egg muffins. And I thought to myself, man, I want to give them everything, right, because I love them. In fact, I wish I could give them even more than what I'm giving them now. Right? I, I want to just shower them with everything that they need and what they want. And the reason why I give them gifts, the reason why I take care of them, is because I love them. And that's why God gives us these gifts of the Spirit. Church, you see, these gifts aren't cool powers to do cool things with. They're born out of the Father's affection for us. It's born out of the same heart of love that, uh, that I was willing to give my uh, kids good gifts. God was willing to give his very son for us, to save us, to forgive us, to restore us, and then to empower us with his spirit. Yeah. Amen. He just gives and gives and gives because that's who God is. He's a loving father. He's a God of grace. And that's how Paul talks about these gifts. The Greek word uh, that's used here, the literal translation, or the, the, the Greek word is charismata. And the literal translation is graces. You see, he gives us these gifts because he loves us and wants what's best for us. And he loves you and he wants what's best for you. So God gives us gifts for these very reasons. And God wants us to do something with those gifts. Let's see what that is. If you look at verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. You see, God gives his children all kinds of gifts. Wisdom, faith, healing, service, discernment. But this chapter is looking at uh, one specific kind of gift, the gift of words. And we see that through primarily through tongues and prophecy. So here's the main idea, the big idea. If you're taking notes, uh, you can talk about this in your missional group. Write this down. God gives us words to build others up. God gives us words to build others up. You see, in this passage, Paul is talking to us about two different spiritual gifts related to words. The first is what is called the gift of tongues. Okay, the gift of tongues. Now, your experience, you might have had a good experience, you might have had a bad experience. But we're going to look at what the passage says uh, in verse number two. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. Now, you might have experienced a church where spe- people spoke in tongues uh, loudly. It sounds like a lot of noise, right? A lot of things going on. You might have seen a reel or a TikTok, right? Making fun of people who speak in tongues. But the reality is that tongues get a bad rap. They get a bad rap. One, because let's be honest, it can sometimes sound weird, Right? Two, because it's often done improperly. You see, what are these loud noises? What what is going on? Paul tells us here that tongues is another language uh, that isn't speaking to people but to God. I like how Pastor Sam Storms defines it. He says this, the gift of tongues is simply the spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language Other than your own or one you have learned about in school. So what's it for? What is this ability to speak words that are given by the Spirit that you don't but don't understand? Like all the other gifts, right, it's for the purpose of building up. God gives you these words to build up. We see this theme throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Right? He, he talks about the meat offered unto idols, and he tells us to partake or abstain. Why? To build up the, the weaker brother or sister in Christ. We see, all, we see this, this whole theme rolling through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's no different when it comes to these gifts, and when it comes to the words that God gives us. See, but in this case, when we're speaking in tongues, we're not building up others, but we're building up ourselves. In Romans 8, Paul talks about the spirit praying, right, in groans that are too deep for words. It's almost, it's almost as if what we are trying to express to God is too profound that our cognitive abilities can't make sense of it. And then the spirit steps in and prays on our behalf, yes. right, right? Have you ever taken a picture, maybe you're like, oh, man, this food looks so good, or oh, man, this, this scene looks so good, right? And you take a picture on your phone, and then you go back home, and you look at it, and you're like, oh, man, that's, that's not really what it was like. It doesn't, it doesn't look the same, right? Like, man, that, that didn't catch it. That didn't hold it well. You see, because the technology can't capture the depth of the beauty, right? It can't. And praying in tongues is sort of like that. Your technology, your physical cognitive apparatus can't capture the depth of what you're trying to say. But guess what? The Holy Spirit of God can. Sam Storm reminds us that tongues is about prayer and worship. So it's a gift that helps you connect with God. It has an effect on you. It builds you up. But that's not the only kind of gift of words that God gives. Back in verse 1, Paul introduces another gift, prophecy. Uh, He says in verse 1, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. So there's this thing called prophecy. And when I think of prophecy, my mind automatically comes to Harry Potter and the little prophecy that was about him, right? The whole movie is based off of that prophecy. Voldemort tries to kill Harry because of that prophecy. So when most of us think of prophecy, we think of foretelling, right? Something, uh, saying something that will happen in the future. We think of the uh, prophecies maybe about Jesus' birth. Prophecies about Israel coming back from exile. Maybe some of us think of end time prophecies. Now, scripture certainly has a category for prophecy as telling people what will happen in the future. But that's not all prophecy is. You see, prophecy is more than just foretelling. It's about forthcoming telling. It's speaking God's word into specific situations. In fact, Paul tells us uh, what this kind of prophecy usually looks like, what it consists of. Look at verse 3 and 4 of chapter 14. It says, on the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So unlike tongues, whose purpose is to build up the the, the talker and to encourage themselves, the purpose of prophecy is to build up the church, to build up others. It builds up other Christians through encouragement, strengthening, consolation. That's what the scripture says. But it also builds up the church by drawing people to Jesus. We see this in action throughout the Bible. We see it a bunch in the book of Acts, right, which is a model for us. Uh, we see it in the life of Paul in Acts 13:1 through 3. The Bible says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after that, they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and sent them off. We see it in the life of Peter, right? The Spirit comes to Peter. God speaks to Peter and directs him to Cornelius, right? And that leads to Cornelius getting saved, right? Becoming an apprentice of Jesus and his whole house. We see it in the life of Philip. The Spirit directs him to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he shares with him, right, about who Jesus is. And that leads to him getting baptized and becoming an apprentice of Jesus. We see it in the life of Timothy. You see, God is directing mission by speaking to people, leading them where to go and who he wants them to talk to, right? He builds his church through these words, but he also encourages believers. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 1.18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. Remember when the Lord used other believers to speak to you? Hold tight to that. right? Remember that truth when you're discouraged, when you're down in your ministry, when, in your, when your life uh, isn't going the way that you thought it would, when you feel like you can't keep going, remember the prophetic words that build you up so that you can fight the good fight. What does Paul say? He says, my son, Timothy, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. So there were some things where people had spoken into the life of Timothy. He's saying, remember them and, you can, and recall them so that you can fight the good fight of faith. That's all well and good, though, right? Those are some high-profile names. Timothy, Paul, Peter, Philip, right? But it's also for ordinary believers, too, right? It's for us. First of all, Paul uh, instructs believers to eagerly desire these gifts, especially prophecy. Second, it's actually really common, okay, so let me give you some scriptures and tell me, it's a rhetorical question, tell me if you've experienced these situations. Let's, let's go through this. John 14, 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So have you ever felt as though the Lord supernaturally brought some scripture to your mind? Yes. Like you're sitting with a friend over coffee, right? And this verse just pops into your head. And you say it to them, and then it fits exactly the situation that you guys were talking about, right? And it it encourages them right to the T. That's not weird, right? You might think, dude, that happened to me uh, in my DNA group this week, right? Uh, That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Reminding you of his words, leading you to speak to encourage others. What about this one? Have you ever been in a sermon and the preacher says something? And you're like, man, this dude knows something about my life. I know I didn't tell him it, but like he knows, right? And it's not some sermon where it's like generically applies to everyone, but you're like, man, the Lord is speaking to me right now. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. That's God's Spirit. That's the Spirit giving the preacher the words for encouragement, consolation, and strengthening. The preacher might not even know what's going on in your life, but the Holy Spirit does. And he's giving him those words. This is how that gift is used. What about this one? Uh, Luke 12, 11 through 12 says this. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Have you ever been talking to someone about Jesus? And you didn't know what you were going to say next? You're like, oh man, I'm not ready for this, right? You're like going through all the, the memory verses you know, like, oh, come on, I can do it, right? But then all of a sudden, you're like, boom, God just speaks through you. And you have the right, you feel like you have the right words to say. Maybe you thought, man, I, wow, I didn't know I had it in me all the time. Well, that's because you don't, right? <laughs> that is the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you what must be said. Specifically at that very hour. In that very moment, in that very interaction, the Holy Spirit is working. And that's how the Spirit works. It doesn't always have to be some big show, right? He gently reminds us. He gives us impressions to act upon. He gives us a sense of what uh, should be said. Sometimes he clearly gives us words to say. If you've been apprenticing Jesus for any time, you know uh, that's true. And what you probably never did was put the pieces of the puzzle together, right? Well, I'm speaking prophetically here. I'm speaking in the spirit. Many of us think we've never maybe had that experience. But actually, you probably have. You just didn't know what was happening. So what if you actually recognized it for, what it for what it was, right? And then you decided to act on it intentionally. Intentionally. What if you sought it out? What if you were extremely attentive to that leading from the Spirit? Gary Tyra says this, What if the prophetic activity I am describing here, obeying a significantly strong impression to humbly, gently speak, and act in the name of the risen Christ, really is, at least some of the time, the work of the Holy Spirit? What kind of missional faithfulness would such a large-scale paradigm shift unleash in the rest of Western world? Wow. So if God gives us words to build others up, then we should be doing that all the time, right? Yeah. And it sounds pretty easy to put in action, right? Well, Paul actually says that this purpose can easily be messed with. And so now I'm going to go through these quickly, but that leads us to our first observation for today. If you're taking notes, our first observation is this. The goal of building others up can get easily derailed. The goal of building others up can get easily derailed. You see, Paul talks about three things that derail uh, using God-given words to encourage, strengthen, and console others. The first, unintelligible in, speech. Unintelligible speech, sorry. You can't be encouraged, consoled, and strengthened if you have no idea what's being said. That's what this, this is what this passage is talking about. Think of it this way, right? Someone walks up to you and says, hey bro, how are you doing? You're like, oh, okay, yeah, like, It like that doesn't make sense, right? How are you supposed to respond to that? Like, oh, thanks, man, you too, yeah. Right? Just it okay. And that's actually the problem with uninterpreted tongues, when it's unintelligible. He says in verse 6, so now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So you say, if I just come with tongues, how am I going to benefit you? How many of you guys played the recorder in elementary Right? Yeah, pretty much everyone. (laughs) Um, That's the worst idea ever. (laughs) Giving a bunch of elementary kids, like, a bunch of recorders, right? And, like, you had to go to Walmart and buy it, right? And then you went to music class, like, once a week. Like, you know? And it just sounds like everyone's playing the same note, right? There's no changing in notes. Everyone's, like, trying to figure it out. And it sounds terrible, I feel so bad for that music teacher. It's like they pick the teacher, right, that they, the principal likes the least. It's like you're teaching the music class. You get to be with the kids that are playing the recorder, right? What are you even supposed to do with that? It's just noise, right? It's just noise. Verse 7 says, even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes... How will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? He also gives an illustration of a bugle preparing for war. Now, we don't do that. We have something better than that now, right? We have something called the Dodgers game, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Charge, right? If you've been to a Dodgers game, you know that, right? Finally, Paul, he gives the last illustration of talking to a foreigner and not knowing the language. You guys know this one, right? Maybe some of our Midwestern friends in here, if you're from the Midwest, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend you, but some of our Midwestern friends in here, right? Hola, como estas? Right? Can I have a quesadilla and a tortilla? Right? You You know what I'm talking about, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. The taco guy is like, What is going on right now? Right? So, Paul says avoid uninterpreted tongues. Because they don't do the body any good. They don't build up the community. Because no one understands it. No one will be encouraged. So, what's the solution? You need an interpreter, someone with the gift of interpretation. There's a second way, that, uh, second way that the building up can get uh, derailed as well. is people speaking out of turn. This is ex- he's just making it plain. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are, are to be only two or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak up to himself to God. Why two or three? Because all of a sudden, if everyone starts talking, there's going to be a mess. right? This is about hogging up the time right? Uh, when you play basketball, there are times where there's the ball hog, right? Sometimes those ball hogs should have the ball, right? It's the end of the game, three seconds left, down by two, guess who I'm giving it to? I'm giving it to Kobe. And Kobe is going to demand the ball. Why? He was a ball hog. Let's just be honest, right? No one, on the, no, one on the, no one else on the floor needs it except for Kobe. But we don't need hogs when it comes to God, right? God's word. Why? Because there isn't one person who has exclusive access to speaking prophetically into others. There is no prophetic Kobe's. The church doesn't have Kobe's or MJ's. The church is filled with a bunch of undrafted role players. And that's cool, right? That's cool. Because when it happens, we need to work together as one unit. When people hog the space to speak encouragement, we miss out on what God wants to do through us. The last one, we have unintelligible language speaking out of turn. And the last one is dissension. Now, I want to set this passage up. Jared gave me this passage this week, right, and he gave me the hard one that that reads, women should be silent in churches for they are not permitted to speak. Some of the husbands in here are like, oh, don't tell my wife that. All right. So now let me set these verses up. First off, okay, first off, some people use this, they weaponize this verse, but first off, this has nothing to do with whether women can be pastors or preach. There are other verses that talk about that in scripture, but this scripture, that's not what it's about. Um, this is a totally different issue here, okay? So there's some context. So first of all, in chapter 11, Paul teaches that women, uh, uh, that if they are going to prophesy and pray in front of the men, uh, they have to do something there that, that, that they have to be uh, surrounding cult, the, the culture. It wouldn't have been accepted, right? But what Paul is saying is that they are to pray and prophesy in public. He says that in verse, in, in, in verse 11. That's super straightforward. So there's women in the church who are praying and prophesying. So we, should, we need to interpret this tricky passage in light of a straightforward passage, okay? So that's how we have to come to our thinking with this verse. Now, let's read it again. Verse 34 and 35 of 14 says, the women, should be, uh, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves. As the law also says, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it's disgraceful for a woman to speak into the church. So here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Paul had just said that when someone speaks, there should be leaders in the church who evaluate whether that's a word from God or some nonsense. Okay? So briefly, what's happening here is that there are someone, uh, specifically women in this church, in the church in Corinth, who have taken it upon themselves to be the judge and jury of the word instead of letting the church leaders decide whether it's a word of prophecy from God. So they're usurping authority and creating dissension in the middle of the service, right? So think of it this way. If Jared was preaching and someone just stood up and says, oh, actually, I don't think the Bible says that, right? Or you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. That would be pretty awkward, right? And that's what's happening. You see, the leaders have already evaluated the prophecy and then someone is publicly challenging it. Do you see how that could be disruptive? Yeah. So unintelligible words, uh, problems taking turns, dissension. And that's why Paul gives these guidelines. That's the, that's the whole reason. So that leads to our last observation for today. Let's apply it. We should speak God's words into the lives of others With an attitude of expectation and humility. So God gives us words to build others up. The goal of building others up can sometimes get derailed, right? But now we have to come, we should speak God's word into the lives of others with an attitude of expectation and humility. Let's talk about expectation. Do you expect God to speak through you? Is that something you think that God can even do? Do you think that is something God wants to do? Do you believe that God might want to use you specifically to strengthen, console, and build up? Do you expect it? More than that, do you eagerly expect it? John Calvin said this, from this passage of Paul's writing, we may conjecture how very illustrious that church was in respect of an extraordinary abundance and variety of spiritual gifts. There was no, there was so great a diversity of gifts that there was a superabundance. We now see our leanness, nay, our poverty, but in this we have just a punishment sent to requite our ingratitude. For neither are the riches of God exhausted, nor His uh, benignity lessened. But we are neither deserving of his bounty nor capable of receiving his liberality. So he says that in God there is a superabundance in gifts. He wants to just dole them out, right? He wants to be like Oprah. You get a gift. You get a gift. You get a gift. You get a gift, right? Why? Because that's how he shows his love and care for his church. Through his hand. They're the, they're the hands and feet and mouths of the believers. Right? We don't get, but we don't get it as a church because we don't expect it. We're content to live in spiritual poverty. So will you expect it? When you go to missional groups, do you go to give or to receive? Do you expect that God will use you to speak encouragement into the life of your missional community? What about when you pray? When we pray, do we enter into autopilot mode? Right? Do we wait? Do we wait? Do we pause? Do we expect God to guide us? Does, do we uh do we do, do, do we wait for him to give us the words to pray? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. But are we waiting? It only happens as we pause and slow down and linger. It's interesting. Um when I first started coming to Story City, I joined Forge, it's the men's group. And uh it was weird. It was only on uh zoom i think or it was on something it was on yeah. digital and there was a guy that was going there he doesn't even come to this church i don't even know what happened to him he would just jump in it was a older japanese man i think his name was mark his name was mark and um he was a friend of someone who was coming and uh i remember i went like twice on onto the the chat and uh it was my wife was pregnant i was working at chick-fil-a I just got uh, released because of COVID. I just got released from the church that I was serving in. So we were only getting our Chick fil A money. And it was like part time, and we were really struggling. My wife was pregnant. She was about to give birth anytime. And my car, I had a, it's actually the car that Izzy Wright drives, is a little Hyundai. Right? And we had two kids, and we were t- getting our third, and there was no way the, 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 the car was going to fit our family. And, um, and uh, it just, my wife was praying. And um, she was asking God, God, we need a van. And this guy, his parents, died like at that point, like three or four years before. And his sister had that, their parents' van sitting in San Francisco. And uh, it was a 2002 Honda Odyssey, the one that has the ghetto, you know, the AM, tra- AM transmitter thing. yeah. <laughs> and um, he heard that. He called me. He got my number from Peter, and he called me. He's like, hey, I have a, I have a Honda Odyssey. And my wife was praying for a long time. And he said, God specifically told me, he, I don't even know this guy, that I need to give you this van. Wow. Wow. He said, I'm going to go, I'm going to drive up, I'm gonna, I'm, actually I'm going to fly to San Francisco. My sister's going to pick me up. I'm going to get in the van and I'm going to drive it all the way back. And all you have to do, if there's any maintenance or anything on there, all you have to do is pay for that and you can have the van. The van had like, I think it was at that time, it had like 52,000 miles on it. Wow. And like, just insane. Right? He blessed my family. But he was expecting God to speak to him, and he did. That's what he told me. He's like, I was asking God what I was going to do with this, because it was just sitting here. And when you expressed to the group, God told me, hey, give this to them. And it, and, it, and it changed my life. That's that's uh, God has worked through other ways. Um, I woke, I run a poke business. I do catering. And I quit my job in December to come on to Story City here. And one of the you know we were all trying to make it happen and work and make finances meet and ran a church planner all this different stuff. So I got a side hustle and we were short on rent. And I did a catering and someone said, "Here, God told me." To tip you. I was like, oh, cool, yeah, cool, 40 bucks, 50 bucks. Handed me an envelope, $1,600. I needed that exact amount to pay rent that week. And they said, no, man, this is what God told us to do. We were, we were trying to figure out how, how to listen to God's voice. There was a willingness to pause and wait, there was an expectation that God wants to do something. But it's not just an expectation, it's in humility. You see, J.D. Greer, our pastor in North Carolina, says this. We are called to be led by the Spirit and taught by the Word of God. Scripture and Scripture alone is our standard. We are called to judge all words by the standard of Scripture. If someone says something and then it doesn't line up with the Bible, well, guess what, guys? That ain't from God. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and hear me. The only way you will grow in your understanding of what's from God and what isn't is if you grow in your knowledge of God's word. Or to stay humble and remember that we're not infallible. When scripture doesn't con- uh, while scripture doesn't contain errors, we do. We should never treat an impression or a word or an image from God as an infallible message because you're not the Bible. I'm not the Bible, right? Some people would be like, I, I, went to, I went to Bible college. Kind of a weird thing. But some people would be like, oh, man, God told me I need to marry you. Uh, I don't know if that's true, bro. <laughs> right? Or, or the famous one, God told me to break up with you, right? Or there's some people here be saying, God told me that the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl. Nah, man, that's false prophecy, brother. Right? So here's what all this comes to, right? God has called us to be a community. A community on mission to love the neighborhoods we call home. And he has equipped us to build up to encourage one another. He's given us gifts to grow in depth together. He's given us gifts to grow outwardly, to speak God's word into the lives of others. Are we ready for that? Do we even want that? Or do we want to keep playing church, going through our routines? Or are we as a church together going to seriously take the call to be the church toward each other and toward those who don't know Jesus yet. Let's commit to being a community who hears God's voice, who expects God's to speak, who's waiting, anticipating the Holy Spirit moving and who speaks God's word to build others up. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit uh, that you come to us and you give it to us freely through Jesus. We ask now as we partake in communion that you would help us, Lord. In Christ. Then we pray, amen. At this moment, we're going to take a minute to step back um, in order to let God speak his truth of us. When we come to communion, we are reminded that God loved us enough to send Jesus to die in our place. And that's one reason we take it. To be reminded of the truths of the gospel, to be encouraged, strengthened, and consoled. So, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, this is for you. This these truths are for you. This time is for you. If you're not an apprentice of Jesus, hey, that's okay. If you're wrestling with questions, uh, we're here for you. We want to we want to answer those things for you. If you want to talk with someone, there's uh, uh, volunteers here that have pink lanyards on. We'd love to answer questions and talk to you more about what it means to apprentice Jesus. So Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23-26, to 26. he said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as the response song plays, you can come to the fore. We have a gluten-free option on the right-hand side here. You can grab your elements, go back to your seat, and reflect on what Jesus has done, and that you're taking this time seriously in light of that. Partake with your family, your friends, your missional group by yourself. But we're going to uh, be taking you in our seats and the worship music will pray. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for this time to remember who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that we can come together and take this as a church. And God, we just ask that you would speak to us. That we would be expecting you to work in, in us and through us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.